All right. I'm going to smile. We're all going to breathe. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so this entire time that we've been kind of chatting, we've been in one book. We've been in the book of Genesis. Well done. All right, bonus points. And every week I I ask you one question. I said, why do do we read the Bible? There are two things we look for when we read the Bible. What are they, guys? Y'all remember? God's character, boom. Learn who God is, first one. Second one? There you go. All right, so it's learning who, how we can uh, act in relationship with others and also have a relationship with him. So the two things, I'm going to kind of do this for the next, like, I think months or whatever. Read the Bible for two reasons. Learn how to interact with God. Learn how to interact with others. Um, we, we talked about uh, the story of Isaac. I remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? This is Jess. And we talked about obedience. Well, uh, the James family... Uh, and I say family because this has, pertains to Owen, uh, we're learning obedience, well, in a very, very, very early stage. <laughs> and uh, I have a video, Lexis, uh, Emily, I have a video. Uh, this is how Owen's first time to ever obey. You want to see this? Okay, Owen's first time to ever obey. Can you unmute it? I would start it over and unmute it. Start it over and unmute it. Uh, turn, mute the music. <laughs> yeah, hold on. All right, clear it off, clear it off, clear it off. We'll start over, start over, start over. Start over. Uh-oh, we're spoiling it. Uh-oh. So that's Owen. <laughs> He's eight months old. He's my son. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, get the popcorn ready. Okay, that's pretty much it. He just cries for a little bit. <laughs> um, I th- we thought that was funny. Uh, so so now we have, like, this voice we use when we're trying to tell him not to do things. I don't even know if he, like, understands English, but we're working on it. Um, okay, so we talked about obedience. That was how Owen displayed obedience. Uh, go ahead and go to Genesis 25, guys. All right, um, so we've been studying the life of Abraham, and his son's name was, what was his son's name? Isaac. Okay, now we're going to look at Isaac's kids, okay? He has twin boys. We're going to look at that process. We are taking a look at Abraham's family because God made a covenant with Abraham and says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And those who bless you, I will bless. I'll make your descendants as many as the sea. And I will be with you. And I will be your God. And I will lead you. He makes this covenant with Abraham's family. And so we're seeing different ways of God's character of how he responds to his people. We're looking at different ways that God um, 
pushes his people to trust him, to have faith. And um, we're just seeing that played out throughout this entire, like, um, history of one family. So we looked at Abraham. Abraham had had faith and believed that God would call him where he went. He had faith to trust the Lord when he asked him to uh, offer Isaac. We, last week we looked at um, Abraham's servant, whose name we never found out. I, always, I thought it was Tony, but that's, we don't know. And we found out that his servant prayed and asked the Lord, and the Lord granted his prayer. So we talked about how do we pray last week. Uh, this week we're looking at Isaac and um, Rebecca's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Um, so in chapter 25, uh, verse 21 is when we're going to start, but let me kind of set it up some. So Isaac and Rebecca, remember Rebecca was the one that was brought back uh, to marry Isaac. Remember the servant last week went to go find Isaac a wife. And Rebecca and Isaac, they get married. And when this story is going to pick up, They've been married for 20 years, okay? So this is like 20 years into it. All right. So this is verse 21 in chapter 25. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Let's just stop there for a second. Um, So they've been married for 20 years, and what we see is that they had no children. Now, that is just like a recurring theme in this family, right? Like every week we're kind of talking about they, were, they didn't have any kids and how the, the promise of God, how was the promise of God going to continue? And when, there are two different impacts to this infertility. It's, there's an emotional side and there's like the theological side. And theologically, we can look at it real quick and say, okay, well, God's promise of making this nation great, the nation of Abraham, he promised that it would be great and have many descendants, Yet, Sarah struggled to have a kid. And now Isaac, the kid that was finally here, is struggling. And for 20 years, has been struggling. And so, people could wonder theologically, like, God, your promise um, of making us a great nation in a covenant, I don't see it. There's room for distrust. Emotionally, it's just hard. For 20 years, heartache, confusion, doubt, um, anger trying to have a child for 20 years. That's a long time. That's a really long time. Um, and so we see there's a parallel here between the way that Abram, Abraham and Isaac responded to not having a child. If you guys remember, Abraham takes matters into his own hands. We talked about this briefly. And has a child with his uh, one of his servants, Hagar, Ishmael. And kind of like try to produce the promises of God on his own actions. We see Isaac does not do that here. Instead, he prays to the Lord. He says, and he prayed to the Lord for his wife, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. I think there's beauty in learning from people's mistakes, and I see that as just a great example. Um, let's keep reading the story. Uh, verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Uh, so she's having a hard pregnancy, and she goes and just to inquire of the Lord. I love that. 
I love that. She's, she's struggling in life. She says, I'm going to go to the Lord. That is a behavior that she knows. And so she goes to the Lord um, and just asks what's going on. And the Lord answered her and said, there are two nations within you. There's, they're going to be divided. One will be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. I mean, can you imagine like being a mother and receiving that word from the Lord about um, the, the, essentially the twins within, within you? Like, that is mind-blowing. Um, how does she even process this information? Um, but let's keep going because I really want to look at the relationship between Jacob and Esau. In verse 24, it says, When her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He was a hunter. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so just from the get-go, man, we see these two twins. Um, curious, anybody twins in the house today? I got Fessler. All right. Yeah, yeah, we got a good twin representation. All right. So twins aren't always the same, right? Like sometimes you're just stark opposites. Some of y'all might be chuckling. But and these twins of Jacob and Esau were just completely different guys. Uh, if you guys don't, if you don't have a twin, think about your brother and sisters. How many of y'all do I have a brother or sister that's just the complete opposite of you? Yeah, okay. And that's not a rude thing. It's just they ain't me, right? And we see this from the get-go. Jacob is one way. Esau's the other. Uh, man, we see uh, Jacob likes to stay inside. He's a quiet man. He likes to hang out with mama. Esau... He's a little rough guy. You know, he likes to go kill things, be outside. He's got a beard. Jacob probably couldn't grow a beard. Like, I relate to Jacob. But uh, I just see that as like, man, there's, these are two stark differences in, the, in these brothers. Um, and we're going to see that God uses both these personalities um, and so this is kind of like this, the building up to the story. Uh, we're really going to talk about Esau selling his birthright. Um, but let's completely read this story. So let's read the, to the end of the chapter. So that's 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We're going to kind of camp out here um, and kind of look at this story a little more. Let's do just a basics of different characters. So Esau, we see that he's the firstborn son. He's the older brother. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's favored by his dad. He's favored by Isaac. But we also see that he's impulsive. 
man, in this story, he like he comes in just hungry. He's like, I'm hungry. Feed me. And Jacob's over here, more of the cunning one, more of the deceptive one. Sell me a birthright. <laughs> like, oh, I'll give you some stew. You like onions? Like, <laughs> he's taunting him essentially. And like the, the aroma of the soups in the in the in the house, whatever they lived in at the time. And he's just he's more cunning. Um Esau, we see he's unspiritual. Um, he rejects his birthright. And we're going to talk a little more about what that means. But he was rejecting the relationship with the God of his ancestors. Jacob, he's the second son. He's the younger brother. He's quiet. He prefers to be at home. He's a mama's boy. But he's calculating. He's a little deceptive. Um, both of these guys are unworthy of God's covenant. Both of these guys. They both have flaws. It's not like one's a model citizen and one's not. Um, so if you, if you guys know me and hang out with me at all, there's one thing that I'm, un, a couple things. Uh, one thing particularly that I'm unapologetically is that I am a comic book nerd. And when I read this story, I think about Thor and Loki. Because you have Thor, right? This massive man wields a hammer outdoor man. He loves his father. That's Esau. And then you have Jacob, who's very crafty and cunning and likes to hang out with his mom and stay inside and is always deceptive. And that's Loki. And so I, I'm reading Thor and Loki in this story. Um, I don't know if that helps you guys kind of picture what's going on, but for me, it really did. Um, and, and the thing is, like, if we went around the room and did different personalities, like I could ask you, like, do you feel like you relate more to Jacob? Or do you feel like you relate more to Esau? One of, we could say, like, well, Esau, well, Jacob. And then some of us be like, man, neither. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, but if we went ahead and did, like, a, your own personality profile, uh, like we worked for NCIS or something and did, like, a profile analysis of you, uh, we could go through different things. It might say, like, firstborn son or say, you know, oldest in your family, might say like middle child. It could say outgoing. It could say sarcastic. It could say di just different things, right? Just like uh, Jacob and Esau said different. They said they're favored by their mom, favored by their dad. Uh, it could talk about one was impulsive, one was more cunning, one was more like crafting. Um, different personalities. But if we were to do that on every person in here and kind of go through the list of the different personality traits that we have, just like we just did for Jacob and Esau, we would end up at the same conclusion that we're unworthy of God's covenant. And that's the point here. Um, Jacob, full of mistakes. Esau, full of mistakes. And we're going to spend the next, honestly, the next few weeks looking at Jacob and Esau's lives. We're going to become good buds with them. And, but Jacob, unworthy of God's covenant. Esau, unworthy of God's covenant. John, unworthy. Carson, Kyle, Nathan, like Hannah, you guys are all unworthy. I love y'all, sorry. <laughs> but you're unworthy of God's covenant. And that's, that's the beauty of it, though, and that's what we see. I mean, that's, that's the gospel, and that's not what we're talking about today, but that, like, that's the gospel, right? Our unworthiness, it's, um, God takes care of our unworthiness. He redeems our sin. Um, he, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And even though we're not worthy of it by our own merit and our own actions, God chooses to bless us. It's kind of similar to Jacob and Esau. 
And we're going to see that more in their life in the upcoming weeks. But even though they're not worthy of receiving the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made to Abraham of blessing them and having an incredible nation and, and being their God and being their people, even though they're not worthy of it, God still decides to give it to it. So the first thing we see there is just that God's incredibly faithful. Um, if, if he said he was going to do it, which he, he did, he said he was going to do it with Abraham, he sticks to his word. Um, man, so like this story can, any story you kind of read in the book of Genesis can kind of stay like in intellectual mode, you know, like learned about Jacob and Esau today. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> but there's this idea that like, okay, God was completely faithful regardless of kind of the mistakes they made, regardless of whether or not they were an idiot or not. And I mean, I would say like, regardless of whether or not you make a poor decision this week, the Lord is still faithful to you. And like, that's the beauty of this. Uh, and we can learn that from the stories. But let's talk more about this birthright. Like, why is it important? So Esau comes in just famished and hungry and says, give me some stew. Jacob says, some of your birthright. Um, Esau says, what good is a birthright if I'm going to die from hunger? So I'll sell it to you. And he says, make an oath. I said, I swear to you, I'll sell my birthright. He said, okay. And then he says, and that passage ends with, thus Esau despised his birthright. When we talk about this word birthright, it's not really something we use anymore, right? Like your, your dad or mom didn't ever sit down like, you know, one day your birthright will be this. Like we don't ever use that phrase anymore. So basically we're talking about a family here, right? So this is Abraham's family and then Isaac's family, and now Jacob and Esau's family. And Esau was the firstborn. So the firstborn had privilege to the blessings of that family. So the blessings of that family were immense, right? God said he's going to bless them incredibly. He's going to be their God. He's going to be with them. He's going to make their nation great, make them just as many as the sands of the sea. Like you cannot count their offspring. God's going to make that great. And Esau was the one who was supposed to receive that blessing. That was to be his birthright. But we see that Esau does not prioritize the value of his birthright. Didn't mean didn't mean squat to him. And it was so temporary in his mind that he sold it essentially in exchange for a, you know a nice cup of stew. Man. That's that's incredible. And you have Jacob, on the other hand, who perhaps he knew the the abundance of the blessing that was in store for the birthright. And so that cunning little guy decides to come up with a way to steal the birthright because he wanted these spiritual blessings that God would give. But was is Jacob's motive pure? No, it's not pure. Was Esau's heart pure? No. You see neither one of them having a proper perspective on the birthright. God was going to bless this family, and we've talked about that. But God's blessing was going to be incredible. Like, there is this, perhaps one of the, all time, one of the greatest blessings that would ever come to a family would, would occur in this moment. And Esau says, I'd rather have stew. Like, does that, isn't, that, isn't that just like absurd? Instead of in being a part of the greatness that God has for my family, I'd rather eat a bowl of soup because I'm hungry. And so just being real simply, Esau didn't prioritize um, what God was doing or what God would do. 
Rather, he prioritized his temporary need. Um, he had no care for what God was going to do. He instead wanted to fill his, fill his belly. Um, let's just, I want y'all to see how this story ends. Uh, Genesis 26, let's read the next part of the story. We're going to read the first five verses. So this happens after the birthright sold. Um, man, Esau just despised his birthright. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, he's unworthy of God's covenant, yet he's still born into this family. In Genesis chapter 26, it says this, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. All right, verse 2. And the Lord appeared to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Man, we see a couple things, and um, we're really trying to hit home on Jacob and Esau, but this is good for just us to have perspective. Um, after Jacob buys Esau's birthright, God appears to Isaac, their father, their dad, and says, like, hey, don't go down here, stay here. Um, and more than that, he says a couple phrases. He says, Go to the land which I shall tell you. The next verse, he says, I will be with you. Um, it's just incredibly relational. Um, man, I don't know where we got this idea of God is not a relational God, but that is, man, it's just so far from the truth. Um, right here, he's, he says, I'm going to tell you where to go, and I'm going to be with you. That is, that's a relationship. And... Isaac is essentially receiving his version of the Abrahamic covenant. Um, if you remember in Genesis 12 and then in Genesis 15, I think, God gives the covenant to Abraham. And so Abraham receives it from the Lord. But now in Genesis 26, Isaac receives this covenant again from the Lord. I think there are two reasons that Isaac received this covenant. The first one is that, man, he needed to know. He needed to hear from God himself. Like, wow. Not only is this something that my, my father told me, but you are my God, and you're telling me directly that this is going to be the, the pathway, the descendants of my family. And I'm hearing that directly from you. All right, that's the first one. The second one is that I think he needed to know that, if you look at the last verse, verse 5, he says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, essentially says, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. He says, like, this blessing will occur because Abraham obeyed my voice and, and followed me. Now, this is the same Isaac that Abraham took to sacrifice. All right? This is the same Isaac who has two unruly sons. This is the same guy. And God appears to him and says, look, my covenant with you is still going to continue. Because your, because your dad obeyed me, and because your dad um, 
kept what I asked them to do, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of your family. It's a reminder that, one, like I just said, he needed to kind of hear it from himself. Sometimes might need to hear that. And two, man, Abraham, your dad, held up his end of the bargain. He obeyed me. It is your turn. It is your turn to obey me. And he says, and I, w- and I want to bless you. And so uh, that's the part that we see. And when that's just tied straight into what we talked about earlier, God's faithful. Just his incredible faithfulness to that family. He didn't look at the mistakes that that family had made. Where these patriarchs, we talk about patriarchs, it's like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Were these patriarchs perfect humans? No. They were not. Like, guys, if you read the book of Genesis, Abraham and Isaac both tell people that their wives are their sisters and, like, doing terrible things. Or are these just model citizens? No, they're not. Are they just people without um, blemish? No, dude, these were dudes who just messed up a lot. But these were also dudes that decided that they were going to obey the Lord at moments in their life. Man, that's encouraging. And God saw, God has chose to be faithful to them despite their faithlessness. And, and I'd say that God is looking um, to be faithful to us despite our faithlessness. There are moments this past week where you've been faithful to the Lord. Um, there's been moments this past week where, like, you have put him above everything else in your life. And there's moments this past week where you're not, you're not faithful to the Lord. And I'm not trying to, like, beat you over the head, but there's, that's reality of it, right? There are moments this past week where I was not faithful to the Lord. And God is saying, like, man, despite um, your inability to follow me at times, I will still be faithful to you. Now, shouldn't that, that spurs us on to wanting to obey him. When Isaac meets with God here, and God says, look, I'm going to be your God. Your, your dad obeyed me. That's why. It should say, like, man, okay, if that's what my dad's done, he set, a, he set an example for me here. I am going to obey you at everything I have. Let's talk a little bit more about Jacob and Esau. Different than each other. They're both flawed. They sold their birthright. They did an actual oath. Uh, so in the, in the customs for a birthright to be transferred from one son to another son, it normally had to, like, go through the dad, and the dad would, like, say, okay, I'm now transferring my birthright from this person to this person. But they completely just didn't do that at all. Esau didn't even care enough to bring his dad into the picture. He said, no, I'm, go- I'm just going to give it to you. So he has no regard for the birthright. Jacob had no regard for the birthright either because or no care for his brother Esau. They're both different. They're both flawed. We can think, do we identify with one of them? But God was still looking to be true to his promise. He said he would bless these people. Uh, the story of Esau is very, um, I think it hits home, because God was going to do the, the greatest thing on the history of, like, a family that he'd ever done. Maybe the exception of Adam and Eve. Uh, but the family that, of Abraham's family, God was going to do the, the, just an incredible work. And Esau got to be a part of that, and he had the opportunity to be a part of it. But he said, no, I'd rather take care of my own temporary needs of what I want to do. Uh, guys, I would say that on, um, during your four years here at SFA, you have an opportunity just to be a part of one of 
the greatest things. Um, you have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing on campus. You have an opportunity to be a part of this work of God. In Abraham's family, in the life of Abraham's family, it was just this incredible story that God was telling. And they were, he was using this people group to tell an incredible story. And Esau said, nah, I don't want to be a part of that. I'd rather have some stew. And I think we're faced with the same kind of decision right here. Um, and this is where the story for me just really hits our, our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday thoughts. Um, am I wanting to be a part of the story that God's doing here at SFA? Or am I looking to fill some temporary needs in my life? So just think about that. Think about your life. If you were to do like a gut check right now, where are you at? Are you prioritizing things uh, that have temporary value? Or are you prioritizing things that have eternal value? Are you looking to be a, a part of this big picture of what God is doing? Uh, man, on, his, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and our little group, I like, man, what's God doing? And you guys just commented, God's doing this, God's doing this, God's doing this. And then I loved reading those on our little Facebook group. If you're not in the Facebook group, you should join. But I loved reading those, and I got to see, all right, here's what God's doing on campus, and this influence, and this sphere of influence. Here's what God's doing here. And it's like this, this beautiful story that's being told of the work of God on campus. When you look at the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, there's this beautiful story that God's a part of. And Esau had an opportunity to step into that story. And he said, no, I, I'm not interested in that. I'd rather kind of do my own thing. And I would say, like, you have an opportunity like, am I going to step into the story of what God's doing on campus, of what God's going to do in Nacogdoches? Am I stepping into that story to be a part of it? Or do I want to stand idly on the sidelines? And I mean, like, what does that look like? Well, man, are you helping create a culture within your spirit of influence where you're helping disciple people to know the truth of God? Or maybe are you helping create a culture where you're bringing people who don't know Jesus into the mix of those who do? Are you creating that culture? Or are you creating the culture of saying, like, you know what? Y'all go get them. I'm going to do my thing. And I think if we stand in our head, we'd be like, nah, surely not. I'm part of what God's doing. And I would say, okay, well, let's take a look. If, let's take a look at your life. And I would very lovingly be willing to do this in my own life. How many things in our life do we devote ourselves to that have no significance? Um, God, is that, God hits me here. Where, what are we devoting ourselves to? If we're devoting ourselves to something, that means we want to be a part of it. God's story of, of campus is something that we can step into. Like Esau had the opportunity to step into the story that he had promised Abraham and to Isaac, and he said no. You have a story to step into the, a part of the story of not just the people in this room, not just the people at different churches here in town, but the people who have, like, come to college before you, like, over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You have a part of step into the story and keep pushing it. Um, man, so, like, where are you at? Where are you at? And are you prioritizing things that have eternal, um, that make eternal differences? And are those the things that you're devoting your life to? Um, Guys, if we are only dividing our life to Netflix, if we're only devoting our life uh, to our homework, and if we're only dividing our life um, to, like, doing what I need to do, uh, then we're missing what God has for us here. Now, now, hear me out. Do your homework, okay? But what I'm saying is that 
you guys are not even here for your degree. Like, that's not why you guys are here in NAC. You guys are here because God wants you to be a part of a movement on campus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the 87% on campus. This is, there's a ton of people on campus that God wants to create a story of reaching that. Man, wouldn't you love 10 years from now to tell the story of how God, God used us to reach the entire campus? The 87% went to 50, then the 40, then the 30, then the 20, and then the more freshmen came in, so it went back up to 50. And, like, and then we just kept knocking the number down again and again. And man, we were part of something incredible. That's what Esau could have done. Esau could have said, like, man, I was so blessed to be born in this family, and I'm going to take part of the covenant that's been given to me. But he said, no, I'd rather have stew. <laughs> and so for us, that looks like, man, I can really go share my faith with, my, with the guy in my class, but actually I'd rather uh, just go up to Starbucks and put my headphones in and be by myself. It's just we rather would do things that aren't part of the story that God wants to create. And so if you think about the possible story that God wants to do on campus, where are we at? I think we just, we're, we're Esau. We are Esau. We have an opportunity to step into the story of what God's doing. Now, maybe you're here saying like, all right, I'm in, baby. Let's do it. And you're like, I don't have a clue how to. What's my role? Man, let's have a conversation. Uh, let's sit down and chat with that. Maybe you, you bring some of your closest friends, and you go like, and during lunch today, you're like, man, what do y'all think your role is in the, in the story that God wants to tell on campus? Where do you feel like your role is? How are we pushing ourselves? Guys, this is something that I'm really passionate about, and I think God is passionate about it too. Last week, we talked about prayer requests that God wants to answer, and I would say like this, the simple prayer of, God, let me be a part of the story that you're doing on campus is a prayer God wants to answer. And so I would, I would ask you, pray that prayer. Step into it. Devote, don't devote yourselves to things that have no eternal significance. 